Okay, here we go. So I missed being with you guys. Missed being with you guys last couple of weeks. Um, so it's good to be back. We're in our series, What We Believe. Um, for those of you who are new, we're going through our doctrine statement, what our church believes. Okay, and so today we are on the topic of the church. So we've covered... Um, who God is, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We've covered man, what, what the Bible says about us as humans. Um, we've covered, what are some other things we covered? Scripture was the first thing we covered. Um, what was last week? Salvation. salvation. Salvation was last week, right? So now we are on the church, okay? So to start us off, this is for the whole group, okay? Is it necessary for a Christian to go to church? That is the question that you need to begin with. You have one minute to talk in your group about it, and then we'll hear some answers. Go. Think. What do you think here? Is it necessary for a Christian to go to church? Just some preliminary thoughts. This is prime the pump. Get us thinking a little bit here, okay? Not necessary, but highly suggested, okay? It depends on how you define the word church. If you define church as the building and like going to the building to worship once a week, then no, that's not necessary. But if you define church as the community of believers, then we would say yes. Okay. So we're already starting to think about in terms of a building versus people a little bit. That's helpful. Okay. Yeah? Well, we should not necessary, but going to church can help you get sanctified and help culture to God. Okay. Was it necessary for faith? Not necessary for faith. For being a Christian, but it had other Okay. Okay. Good. Any other thoughts? All right. Okay. Is it necessary for a Christian to go to church? Well, that's something that we're going to want to kind of have in the back of our minds as we go through today. All right. So what we're going to do to start off is just like we do every week with this series is we want to get an idea of kind of what scripture says about the church so each group, I'm just going to give you one of these passages, it's just a verse or two, and just think about what does this verse tell us the church is, okay? So you guys can do 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, okay? Behind you, Doug's group, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, back here, uh, Ephesians 5, 23, all right? My uh, 15-year-old, you guys do Revelation uh, 19, you guys do um, Ephesians 1, 22, and why don't you guys do Ephesians 4, 15. Okay, so let's start thinking through some of these. We've got each passage here, we're going to go through it, okay? So for the first group, everyone else, you can uh, see what their passage was here. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what did you guys say this tells us the church is? What is the church? Yeah, Elijah. Uh, the church is every Christian. Okay. Every Christian. Anywhere. Anywhere. Okay. 
Anything else? And why is because we are all baptized from one spirit and there's only one Holy Spirit? Okay. That's good. What does uh, anywhere mean? Just Let's not go there. Okay. Uh, we got to keep moving. Okay. So this is helpful. So we're baptized into one spirit. That's the unifying spirit that makes us all part of the same church. Anything else from there? Keep going. All right. We're going to keep going. Group behind you. Their verse says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin virgin to Christ. What's this implying here? Yeah. We are Christ's bride. Okay. Christ's bride. Good, okay. Next group. What's that? We think that's kind of weird. We think it's kind of weird. Over here. Good. Next group verse says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. What does this tell us about what is the church? You guys, right? Rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of saints. You guys have does this contribute, yeah? Um, well, we also said that it that it's uh, Christ's bride, the church is Christ's bride. Also, it's not just like it says it's granted for her to be clothed in fine linen, bright and pure, like a wife is supposed to be pure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's exactly right. Yeah. I'd also say, like it says, um, and his bride has made herself ready, so just be ready for when Christ returns. Okay, yeah. So, here's a good point that we could make. You never actually hear the Bible say that we're the wife of Christ. Okay? <laughs> actually doesn't use that language. In Ephesians 5, it's saying like wives should be like the church in the relationship to God. And here's why. The book of Revelation is talking about end times, right? What's being described here is that the bride has made herself ready for the wedding, the marriage. So in fact, we are Christ's bride in the sense that we're getting ready for the wedding. When is the wedding? When he comes to get us. 
okay? So that's why it's bride and not wife, is that the wedding day is still in the future when Jesus returns and collects his people and we are together, face to face, Jesus with us. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb, okay? That's really a little bit of extra theology there. Okay, and then, uh, is this your guys' group? Okay, he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church. It's a us. Okay, yeah? Anything else? Well, Christ is our head, we should submit to him in everything, and listen to him in everything. Yeah. Good. Okay, so this is one that actually showed up in a number of the earlier verses, but we're hitting it here, is that we're the body of Christ. Okay, and that's not just talking about like a body of people. They need body. We're the body, okay? Hands, arms, elbows, feet. Jesus is the head. Okay, it's, a, it's an image to help us understand what the church is like. All right, and then you guys had Ephesians 4.15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What's this pointing at? Yeah, we should want to be like him. Okay. And also that when we're uh, working with each other to become like Christ, that we should speak the truth to each other and be honest with each other. Yeah, yeah. And also saying that Christ is the head again, right? It's okay that there's repetition here. The repetition is good. It's helping us to see there's an idea that we're getting in the Bible, okay, from about the churches. Last one, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So again, Christ is the head, all right? So what is the church? Let's just sum it up really quick here. The church is people, not just a place. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And what's interesting is that as the Bible talks about Jesus being the head, it actually means he's the head in both of these analogies. He's the head of the body, which is the part of you that directs the body and rules the body and tells the body what to do, right? He's also the head of his wife, head of the bride, like in a marriage. The husband is called to lead and to guide, just like Christ leads and guides his bride, right? Okay, blank stairs, moving on. Here we go. Makes sense, right? Okay, good. So... Really quick, I want you guys to look at 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. And as you do that, I want you to look, think about these two questions. Again, just one minute. We're moving fast. What is the mark of someone who is in the church and where is the church? Where is the church? Right, so let's go ahead and check this verse out. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, our brother uh, Sosthenes. Okay, so pay attention here, this is important. To the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God that is in Corinth. So where is the church? It's in Corinth, right? He's writing a letter to the church that's in Corinth. So there's a church in Corinth. We're all clear on that, right? 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he's giving us a little bit of a definition here. What's that mean, sanctified in Christ Jesus? Okay, that is typically what the word sanctified means. If those of you who are, you're a little disadvantaged because I just preached for three weeks on the topic of holiness, okay? So, remember we learned there's two ways sanctified is used. This is talking about not people who are being sanctified, but people who are sanctified. What does that mean? It means they're, you said it. They're set apart, okay? So sanctified has two meanings. You're growing in holiness, and you're set apart as holy. So here's people who are set apart in Christ Jesus, okay? Called to be saints together. They have the Holy Spirit, that one spirit that we're all baptized into. With who? All those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So where is the church? And? And in Corinth. Excellent, right? The church is everywhere, and it's in Corinth, and it's in Warrenville, and it's in Wheaton, okay? So as we talk about this question about where is the church, we have to say two helpful distinctions, okay? The church is both universal and local. So when we talk about the universal church, we're talking about every single person who follows Jesus Christ everywhere, okay? But the church is also local. The church is in Corinth. The church is in Galatia. The church is in Philippi. That's why when Paul writes letters, they go to a place and people go there to hear the letter. And the reason this is important is because there are people who oftentimes think, well, I'm part of the church because I follow Christ. I don't need to be part of a church in my neighborhood because all I need to do is follow Christ. But it's interesting that Paul, when he's writing to churches, he's not saying, I'm just going to tweet this out into the world. To the church, if you're following me, then you'll get it. No, he's writing letters to say, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Galatia. There's the expectation that churches are meeting somewhere. Something's happening, okay? So there's Universal, there's local. There's also the invisible church. Some of you are like, man, I'd love to go to that church. Um, But what that means is it's the church that we can't see. Only God can see the hearts of people. He knows who's truly in the church. So, for example, not everybody in this building or even maybe in this room even are part of the invisible church if they haven't actually put their trust in Christ. They're here but they're not in the church because they don't follow Christ. Um, And then there's the visible church, which is what you can see when you come on Sunday mornings and you see people and you see people who say, I'm a Christian, and you look for evidence of it in their lives. And even then, can we be duped? Can we be tricked? Sure. There's people who look like great Christians. And then over time, we realize they aren't Christians at all. Okay, so only God sees who's really in the church but we see who comes every Sunday morning. So those are helpful distinctions for us. Okay, so a couple more discussion questions for us. Let's just do this as a big group, okay? Are there people who call themselves Christians but do not go to church? What do you guys think? Yeah, okay, I agree. So second question, what might be some reasons people give for why they don't feel the need to go to church? All right. 
surprised I have to say this, but 17-year-old group, most distracting of all the groups. Focus, 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 focus. Set an example. Oh, now we're sectioning it off. It's not just the group anymore. We're, we're naming names. Okay. All right, so question. <laughs> question. What might be some reason for why people say they don't go to church? Yeah. I don't need other people. I've got the pastor on TV. I've got podcasts. I've got my worship playlist. Why would I need to go on Sunday mornings? Yes. Yeah, I can't find the church that feels right for me, which is really an American problem. Okay? So, other places, not so much. Yes, Dalen. So they're they're good Christians already. They don't. Oh, okay. The word Christian is not in the Bible. Yeah, I've definitely heard that argument. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have enough time for it. Good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm already saved. I've I've done the I've jumped through the hoop. I believed in Jesus. Why do I need to add these extra things? Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, I already know everything the church is going to tell me. I don't need to go and just hear it repeated. Yes. Uh, I have an uncle who does not go to church just because he feels like um, he'll be judged for decisions he's made in life. Yeah. So he would claim to be a Christian, but he'll be one of those people who will say, well, the Bible doesn't say I have to go to church. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say I have to go. I don't want to interact with the messiness of other people and what they're going to think of me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't go to church because everyone there is a hypocrite. Okay, lots of reasons. So here's the question. What part of being a Christian do we miss if we never join a local church? What do we miss if we never join a local church? Fellowship, being with other believers, and the accountability of other believers. Good. Anything else? Shepherding, that's leading from other people, being led by someone, okay? Yeah? Um, there's kind of like an aspect of like your faith being like rejuvenated by seeing like Christ in other people. Seeing Christ in other people, that's great. And you're not going to do that if you don't get together with those other people. Like counseling, like pastors and I don't know, like stuff. Great. Getting instruction from other people, getting counsel from other people. Good. These are all good answers. Yeah. Having someone that you're actually responsible to. So this is a huge one. When we talk about what the purpose of the church is, being led is something that every Christian needs. We need to be led. We need to be led by God. But God has put people in the church responsible for leading the people in that church. And if you never are part of a church, you have no one who's doing that in your life. And part of being Led is being told when you're going off the path, when you're doing the wrong thing. And if we never put ourselves under a church, then we never receive that 
helpful instruction that we need. Okay? Yeah? Yeah? You also miss out on a group of people that are willing to pray for you. Prayer. That's huge. You're getting yourself out of community of people who would pray for you. That's a huge part of it. That's great. Okay, many more things that we could go down. Let's go down the road of leadership, okay? Authority, putting yourself under authority. Well, as we read the doctrinal statement, and everything I'm teaching here is from our doctrinal statement. It's just easier if I do it in bullet points than paragraphs. Um, But the idea is that who leads the church? Well, obviously, I probably should have made Christ in like size 100 font. The answer is Christ. Christ leads the church. He's the head of the church. He is clearly the one who leads the church. And scripture is clear that Christ uh, uses elders to lead a church. So if you guys read scripture, you're going to come across a couple of different words. Elders, overseers, bishops, depending on your translation, pastors. These are all words that are translating the same idea, even the same word sometimes. Okay, And it's this idea of someone who is in place to lead the church. Okay, They also have what's called deacons. Deacon is a word that comes from servant. And what a deacon is supposed to do versus an elder is that elders are to shepherd the church. So if that image is helpful, think of a shepherd, a bunch of little sheep. Clearly a difference between the shepherd and the sheep, right? Like, the sheep doesn't come to the shepherd every once in a while and be like, you know what, you're doing a bad job. I really think that we should all go this way. And the shepherd's like, you know what, you're right. Let's go that way. That's probably a bad analogy. We do, okay. <laughs> shepherd, sheep, let's, let's not go down that road. It's just shepherd, sheep. Uh, deacons are to serve the church to free up the elders to shepherd the church. So in other words, our deacons help to manage the finances of our church. They help to manage the building of our church. They help to manage um, taking care of those who are in need, the benevolence fund of our church. Um, And the reason that the office of deacon is created in Acts is to free up the shepherds of the church to be able to have time to shepherd the church while other people can help take care of these very real needs in the church, okay? So those are the offices that are created, and they always come with qualifications. Not anybody can be a deacon. Not anyone can be an elder. And the qualifications are probably best described as they have to be like Christ. They have to be men who are like Christ to lead this way. And um, I thought I had put that in there. Scripture says that people must submit to their elders. That's the authority part. Like scripture commands people. You are commanded as someone at our church, as a member of the church, that if your elder comes to you and says, you're going down the wrong path, you need to repent, you need to go down this path, scripture says you must submit to them. Now, we live in a day and age where authority is not something we love. Okay, we, we sit, we bristle under this idea of like, who are you to tell me what to do? Like a lot of people who don't go to church, it's because of the authority thing. And like who, why should I believe that they're, I've got a Bible, I can read, I can think, I don't need someone telling me what to do. I've got Jesus to do that. Okay, problem is we read the Bible through our own lenses. We don't read it in a way that we want to be convicted by it. And so we sometimes need someone to get in our grill and get right up in our face and say, here's what the Bible says and here's what you're doing and you're not doing it out of love, speaking the truth in love. 
So a passage I want to read for this that's helpful to give us an idea of like elders leading under Christ. What does this look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Peter says to to the church, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, so be in charge, not under compulsion, like, oh, I have to do this, this is, oh, I hate being an elder, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Elders don't do it so that they're like, I'm at the top, I made it to the top of the heap, I'm the most important person in the church. But eagerly, you're doing it with joy out of service to God. Not domineering over those in your charge. So elders are commanded. You're not supposed to be just a finger pointer going around like, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. No, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So first and foremost, an elder has to live a life that is like Christ. So when people look at him, they're like, oh, so that's what it looks like. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, the real leader of the church, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So we see that command. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So both for those who are under leadership, those who are in leadership, be humble. God opposes you if you're proud. Okay? Well, we have got to go fast here. So what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to glorify God. End sentence. That's, that's it. Glorify God. That's our purpose. How do we do that? Build itself up in faith by the instruction of the word. So churches must have the word being taught by fellowship, meeting together, by keeping the ordinances, baptism and communion. At our church, we believe baptism needs to be practiced by immersion. That means you're dunked under the water because we think it's the best picture of what it means to be buried with Christ and raised with Christ. We believe in believer's baptism, which means we don't baptize babies. We believe that you should be baptized after you come to an age where you can say, I have put my own faith in Christ and I want to be baptized. And by communion, okay? Oh, it's helpful to think of these as baptism is like the front door of the church, okay? So when you're baptized, you're saying, I'm in. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my savior. I want to be part of the church. Communion is how we stay in the church. It's a continual reminder of saying, Christ died for me, repent and believe in Christ. This is what we do every single week so that we are reminded of what our faith is all about and by advancing and communicating the gospel to the entire world. So a church isn't like closed door, we all sit in a holy huddle looking at each other like we're the church, nobody else can get in the circle. No, the goal of the church is to grow, grow and grow and grow and grow. So we're always advancing, okay? And so the last question is, what is my purpose in the church? What, do I, what am I supposed to do? So I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. What do you want me to do? I just like come and sit here and wait for someone to tell me what to do. No. Your purpose is to serve in the church. So Ephesians 4 says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, and shepherds and teachers, these are all leaders, to do what? Equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. So who's doing the work of ministry? You! (laughs) For building up the body of Christ. So it's your job as the church to be building up the body of Christ. So if you come on Sundays and you're like, all right, pastor, let's see what you got for me today. 
B plus at the end of the sermon, C minus, didn't really get much out of it, and then we all head home. No, that's not what you do at church. You are supposed to walk into church with the idea that I have something that I'm supposed to give here, not just receive. Okay? And how do we do that? Well, we do that with our gifts. We all have gifts, it says. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. So some are like a hand, some are like an ear, some are like a foot, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We all have different gifts. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches and is teaching, keeps going here, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there's all sorts of gifts. What gifts do you have? Encouragement, giving, generosity, speaking kindness to one another, okay? Um, serving, I think I may have said that. There's lots of gifts. So you need to use your gifts to build up the church. That's why you are here. So our last three questions are these. We've got to finish up here. Whose job is it to carry out the purpose of the church? What do we say? All of ours, right? It's all of our job to carry out the purpose of the church. If your church isn't growing, you shouldn't just go to the elders and be like, you guys are slackers. I mean, they might be because your church should be growing. But it's also you should look inward and you should say, what have I done this week to help our church grow? Okay? Will we all do it in the same way? No. There's a reason you have two hands and two feet and ears and eyes and some of us have a gallbladder, some of us don't, okay? <laughs> because we all have different things that we're supposed to do in the body, okay? So that's why it's really important for you to start asking yourself, what gifts has God given me for building up the body? So for example, I believe that God has given me the gift of teaching, and if I were to say, you know what, I don't really like doing this whole upfront thing. It comes with all the criticism. It comes with all the feedback that I don't really like to get sometimes. You know, and, and it just like it's work. I'd rather come to church and treat it like the Sunday football game where I can just come and sit and I'll bring my coffee and its mug and I'll just sip and listen and it'll be so nice. And that would be disobedient. That wouldn't be building up the body of Christ like I'm supposed to. And each one of you has a gift. You have multiple gifts. What are they? So let's ask this question. How many of you would say, I think I have this gift and I'm happy to, to say it in front of the room? Because part of growing in this is saying, here's the gift I have. I need to be using it. Yeah. Teaching little kids the Bible. Teaching little kids the Bible. Awesome. Anything else come to mind? Or you can say, I think God's giving me this gift. I'm growing in it. I'm not, like, amazing at it. But I, this is something for me to focus on. Anyone else? Yeah? Music. Music. It's a great gift. Yeah? number of people in here with that gift. Anyone else want to say anything? Yeah? Being able to handle yeah, loving little babies. It's an awesome gift. We need that. The parents are so thankful for people who love babies in the nursery. Okay, I look around this room and I say, a number of us in here have the gift of leadership. 
You're growing in being a leader and what it means to be a leader. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. You love writing little encouraging notes to people and you need to use the gift more. Okay? It's not like, oh, he's talking about me. Gift of encouragement. No, like you need to use it more. Our, our, we need more of this. When I say we need to affirm one another, we need to do it. Not just have crickets in here. All right? Some of you have the gift of service. You really, like, when you hear someone needs help, you're like, oh, I can do that. I can come and help you. I can come help wash this or clean this or fix this. That'd be, I'm happy to do that. And it's a gift because not everybody, when they hear, I need to repair my sump pump or something, not everybody, when they hear that, says, oh, I'd be happy to do that. Some people hear that and they think, that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> and it's because they don't have that gift. If you have that gift, then you need to use it. Okay, so we could keep going. Ask your parents. This is your homework. Ask your parents, what spiritual gifts do you see in me? And how can I grow in them? How can I use them? Okay? All right, well, let's pray, and we'll be done for this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for the church, grateful for the local church, grateful for the church universal, um, and so thankful for the work that you have done in history and done uh, in the history of our body, um, initiating this church 35 years ago and allowing godly men and women to fill this building and to grow it, that your spirit has been sanctifying it. And I praise for these students, everyone in this room, that we'd be seeking how am I building up this body and that we would get to the work of building up this church and that your spirit would be uh, the common thing that is in us that is continuing to grow us and continuing to move us into Christ's image as we grow up into our head who is Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks.